0: Welcome to the Young Farmers Food Safety Focus Group Series. I'm Maggie Kaiser, the Produce Safety Training Coordinator for the National Young Farmers Coalition. At the end of 2019, I, along with Kara Fraver and colleagues from the Local Food Safety Collaborative, released the Young Farmers Produce Safety Guidebook, A Small Farmer's Practical Guide to Food Safety. This resource breaks down what often feels like overwhelming legal jargon help farmers reduce the risk of contamination on their farms and develop food safety plans that work. In this focus group session, we are featuring Mariah Foley of Rock Bottom Ranch, a diversified educational farm in Colorado. Mariah used the guidebook to write a food safety plan for the farm. In this conversation with Bree Liker and Billy Mitchell, she explains how and why she did it.
1: Okay, so I'll start and then I'll pass it to Billy. Uh, so my name is Bree Liker and I'm interning with National Young Farmers this summer on the business services team and so I've been working with these focus groups and in addition to being an intern, I'm also a graduate student at NYU studying food studies. Um, Billy, I'll pass it to you.
2: Hey y'all, my name is Billy Mitchell. I live down on the coast of Georgia in Brunswick, Georgia and work for the National Farmers Union, a farm service organization based out of Washington, DC. I'm Really excited about the focus group today because I love writing food safety plans but in the past I really have only written them for compliance for farms that had to pass an audit. And so just looking forward to talking with a farmer who's, I guess, written one more out of curiosity because they're not yet, to the best of my knowledge, being audited by anybody, but recognize the benefits that just come from writing things down. Uh, and with that, I'll pass it to you.
3: Yeah, um, my name is Mariah Foley. I work in Basalt, Colorado in the mountains. You'll hear in my presentation, I talk a little bit more about my background, um, but I'm currently working for a small diversified um, farm connected with an education nonprofit. But my background is in a lot of bigger farms. And so I've written compliance-based food safety plans. And then when trying to write a plan for my current operation, who's qualified exempt, I used the guidebook. And I was really, really excited that this resource was released kind of right as I was sitting down this winter to um, put in the work. So I'm excited to talk about it and um, kind of gush about the resource that is the Young Farmer's Guidebook. Like I said before, my previous food safety plan was com- kind of compliance-based while trying to get a harmonized GAP Plus certification for a larger farm that I was working at. Right now, I manage a small-scale vegetable production farm um, that is part of a larger umbrella of an education nonprofit um and Our site is open to the public, we have events, we have tours and people walking through. We also do have a diversified, rotationally grazed livestock operation. Those two last details are kind of really important in how I went about writing a food safety plan, because those are two considerations that um, impact food safety. But I started kind of last season, it was my first season at my current operation, So through the season was kind of making notes on what our food safety practices were, what we were doing well, what kind of were our blind spots. And when I went down in the winter and late fall to like write this all down, I was like, I'm just going to copy and paste from the large compliance-based food safety plan that I've written for another farm. I'm sure it'll be transferable. I'm sure I can use all the same Cornell resources that I used before. And it was incredibly overwhelming, and I was like, this, I can't just copy and paste a smaller operation and not needing to write for an auditor definitely changed um, kind of what I needed out of a food safety plan and changed the process of writing it. And right when I was in my peak of being overwhelmed by this task, I was told, wait, this guidebook is being released um, later this winter, wait for it and hopefully it will be a good resource for you. I think most small farms, um, the strength is in diversity, but then also some of the food safety challenges are in that diversity. Um, So here's just some pictures of all of the different kind of areas of operation, sheep, cattle, um, vegetables, events. As Billy indicated, I am working somewhere that's qualified exempt from the produce safety rule as part of FSMA, so a food safety plan is not necessarily required. I feel personally just very strongly um, that there is, even if I don't necessarily have a full legal obligation, um, I do have an ethical obligation to provide the safest food possible to my consumers. And I think the smaller the farm is and the more local we're operating, the more trust is implicit between our customers and the farm. And um, so I have to like, I have a duty to uphold that trust and make sure I'm doing everything I possibly can to um, have really healthy, safe food. And then um, the food safety plan is a working document to communicate our practices, both within within my staff team for training or within the larger organization, um, in the public. And then the act of writing it down, helped me think through and better our systems and see where kind of the gaps were and also celebrate what was really, what we were already doing well. I wanted my food safety plan in particular to be written for my coworkers it was a little overwhelming to kind of think through language and not be able to copy and paste like a compliance-based food safety plan if people have ever done like a gap or training it is dry it is legal and it's important to have that language in your food safety plan but um the like 22 year old first time farmer that is on my team she doesn't need that language that's not beneficial to get her to care about food safety. And then um, because I do work for an education nonprofit, I wanted to kind of personalize the food safety plan a bit through this lens of education and educating first my coworkers and kind of spiral that education out. Um, And I think there is like a level of professionalism that talking about food safety and having things documented or written down provides a farmer. And um, I think that's a really powerful tool towards talking about the public about how important the job is and how to treat farmers like professionals. And then also like to identify areas we don't have perfect food safety practices and work towards those by writing down what we were doing and kind of filling in the gaps. The aspects of the guidebook that were really helpful are listed on the screen. I won't read them all, but it did very much um, feel like a very friendly, like, let's talk about food safety and let's get excited about it kind of tone while still providing a lot of great, great information that I think would probably be wonderful if you were seeking to write a food safety plan for some sort of audit as well as if you just want a food safety plan for
1: your
2: own kind of
3: internal use.
2: And And would you say that's kind of maybe your farm manager personality?
3: Yeah, I think so. (laughs) I think it's good. I like, um, I like SOPs. I like thinking about systems and the puzzle of doing things well and thinking through efficiencies and also thinking my brain is, Hopefully you don't see it too much in this presentation, but my brain is a little scattered, especially during the farm season. And I jump from one thing to the other. And so being able to do whatever work I can during the slower months to kind of think everything through and remove that burden of thought from myself during the farm season is how I like keep sanity. And that goes in kind of all areas of um, the operation. So where I got started with using the guidebook, I took notes while reading through the guidebook and just jotted anything, any thoughts that were triggered. Um, And then I ended up after that like kind of word vomit document with um, a pretty good outline of what I wanted my food safety plan to include. And then because of that, it roughly follows the guidebook's outline. And went back through, made a list of SOPs to write. Some of those were let's write down what we're already doing. Some of those are like let's figure out a better way, and kind of systematically looked at every area of our farm and site operations, and I did like oh we use the pitchfork for mucking chicken coops, but also it's a really great tool for carrot harvests. And have we ever washed that? And Um, So thinking through some things like that that might be missed kind of without a habit-building side of things. And then um, developed a training format for staff. Loosely edited the whole document to be able to share with the larger staff team so that when – it was especially helpful when pandemic started happening and um, this director of the nonprofit I worked for was like, hey, what are we doing about COVID? We were able to send over a food safety plan and be like, hi, like, these are our food safety practices. They're more than more than enough to mitigate the risk of COVID. And um, we're also looking at these other, like, pathogens and bacteria and mitigating risks of those common foodborne things. And then they're like, oh, wait, you already, ha- you have this? Like, we don't have to overhaul? Uh, so removed a burden of like that planning um, kind of as we're entering busy spring season. And then um, as I was training, my staff team kind of had areas of linkages of, oh, like when we do this first harvest, this is when I'm going to introduce post-harvest practices. And when we talk about tools, we're going to talk about sanitation and stuff like that. So I am really in a conversation with Maggie Preparing for this focus group, the phrase "working document cuts coming up, which I have been really excited about kind of clinging on to that because when I in my past food safety plan writing experience, you edit it as you go, but like there has to be this like final thing, at least for the season. And so I'm thinking about a food safety plan, especially um, as developing one, I kind of got overwhelmed by that like I have to finish this thing, whereas um, I think a working document that I've been editing through the season, and because it's just for internal use, like no other eyes kind of have to look at it and kind of judge if I've changed sanitizers and I haven't changed um, the words in the document yet or. Um, if the wording of one of my SOPs is like, figure out how to word this better um, in parentheses. And so um, that's been really empowering to have the freedom to look at it as like a tool. This is like a screenshot of my Google Drive of um, just some of the SOPs and um, reporting logs You can see, like, one is highlighted the cooler cleaning SOP. Certainly, um, those highlights are things I want to go back and edit. Um, It's not like a perfect thing. And I want to kind of encourage farms that are interested in thinking more about food safety and writing a food safety plan to think of it as like a much smaller thing than maybe they are, because it is just like a tool to use and tool to think about your systems Um, and it can be a little dirty and messy, just like maybe any of your other tools that you use are in the middle of the season.
2: So. Can I ask you about one of the SOPs on the screen? Yeah. Um, Kind of more of a non-traditional one is your gator cleaning SOP. Can you talk a little bit about why you decided to make that one? Yeah,
3: so um, the gator is the one piece of equipment that switches back and forth between vegetable production, livestock production, uh, taking the trash out, uh, moving flowers around for events uh, multiple times a day, it's switching back and forth. And um, often like if we had chickens lost to a predator attack, they get put in the gator, Um, But then that gator goes to vegetable production. And so I identified that over the winter as probably the one area that we could stand to do better with kind of the highest risk. We have chicken crates going in there. And so there's chicken manure. And then um, right after the day after we chicken, crate chickens up, you know, we're doing a vegetable harvest and using the gator. And so, gator cleaning SOP, the biggest kind of part of that SOP that was important to think through is, like, the sanitation thing is pretty step forward, but, like, who is responsible for cleaning, and is it um, the people creating chickens at 9 p.m. who's responsible for cleaning the gator, or is it the people, like, right before they harvest vegetables the next morning? If you look at the normal, like, SOP format, either the guidebook has a template or any of like the ones that Cornell puts out, there's always like a, who, who is doing this SOP section? And I've always kind of thought that was a little silly, but with the Gator one, it's been very valuable to have them like, who has responsibility over this like shared good.
2: Uh, not to turn this into Gator <laughs> webinar. Yeah. But are you comfortable sharing whose responsibility is it to clean the Gator?
3: It tends to be the easiest and happen most consistently if we wash it first thing in the morning before vegetable harvest, and then the vegetable crew knows without a doubt that it's been washed and sanitized. And then because I'm also the one who wrote this Gator SOP and I'm the vegetable crew lead, it's very easy for me to put that responsibility on myself and make sure it gets done rather than like adding something else to a busy coworker's plate.
2: Yeah and I imagine at the end of the day of moving chickens you're just kind of tired. It's, it's yeah. almost a higher risk situation to ask a very tired person who's just done a very dirty thing to like get back in there and scrub it out whereas you start your day you just feel a little better you're like we'll just knock this out. And yeah yeah. That, was, that just seems to make sense.
3: Yeah I'm not the type of person to like make my bed in the morning But this feels like the like clean, the food safety equivalent of that task. Everyone has confidence going into vegetable harvest that the gator is clean because they just did it. I guess that is my whole presentation. Um, But if you guys have any additional questions or things you want me
1: to elaborate on, I would be excited to.
2: I've got a bunch of questions.
1: I have a bunch of questions too. I was like, just looking at my notes. I'll, I'll take the first question and we can go back and forth.
2: Yeah, that sounds um, great.
1: You mentioned when uh, COVID kind of started becoming an issue mm-hmm. and the nonprofit side of the farm asked for, you know, your, your produce safety guide, your food safety guide. I'm just curious who else, um, you know, like other stakeholders or... Is it in education sense, like if a school wants to visit or something, like have you shared that guide out with any other folks that have asked, like what are steps that you guys are doing? Um, not not in
3: a particularly concrete format, like forwarding it over. I have used, um, I think a lot of the wording and a lot of the like how to talk about food safety and our practices um it's been really easy like i wrote it down and then i can just reach back to that um instead of kind of thinking through new wording and probably the biggest like outside stakeholder that has had questions are um visitors that are coming for like events at the ranch um or customers at market and we take market safety really seriously um, and do a few extra steps that some of the other farms at the same market um, don't do because they're not required steps. And so I think that visual of um, kind of a different market format, as well as us kind of being informed and able to talk about food safety has been really helpful and kind of a, an indirect translation of the food safety plan document to the public.
2: You had mentioned that it sounds like you kind of stretch your training out throughout the whole season. Is there anything you really like to cover the first day or the first week?
3: As far as food safety?
2: Maybe a little bit of both. Yeah, I mean, food safety... Webinar, so we should touch on food safety. But yeah, just in general, you can't teach everybody everything the first week. What are a couple (laughs) of things that just feel really important to mention?
3: Yeah, I think um, staff training looks a little bit about like the first few days are getting acquainted with the site, where things are, and a little bit more of that like ideological side of like how we operate as a team and leadership and communication then we kind of move on to like task specific things basically whatever's on the to-do list for that week and the most urgent things are the things I get trained on first so I made a change a little bit this spring from how I trained people spring of 19 of waiting a little bit to do some of the like task training or talk about topics like there's a quiet half hour or a good maybe transition time when we could talk about food safety now, or we could talk about tool maintenance or whatever, or we can talk about like one element of food safety when we're doing our first harvest and another element of food safety when we are talking about filling up the hand washing stations and one element of, you know, whatever. I think my training went better this spring than it did before. Uh, I think I was a better trainer on uh, all aspects. And I think part of that was I like sat back and waited for the right time to like introduce information and like build upon past information rather than like, here's everything you should know in a week. And so I try to be very thoughtful about that, which seemed to go well. Hopefully (laughs) we had a good season. So um, I'm excited to, look back in prep for next spring, like look back at my notes and what the timing ended up
1: being on some of the things. Not to go gator crazy again, but I really liked it. Cause I like this SOP for it because I've been on operations where it's like a big point of frustration. And you know, your we had Kubota's, but yeah. you know, your Kubota's is never clean and someone takes it and it's still not clean when it comes back. So I was just wondering if there were any other SOPs that you know were like these bright spots that came out of spot uh or some frustration or something like you have to figure out a good way to do this.
3: I think there is like a couple thing a couple areas where um the overlap between vegetable and livestock happens really quickly and happens with the same materials And that, because we're dealing with livestock manure, I identified that as kind of our highest risk areas and the areas that we needed to pay the most close attention to. And so um, there was good practices and has been good practices. We do on-site chicken slaughters through this summer. And um, currently the space that we slaughter chickens is also the wash pack shed for vegetables. And so... Before our food safety plan was written, there was great um, kind of sanitation practices. but have kind of honed those and written them down and made a better checklist so we don't forget to sanitize the hose was like one small thing um that was always like, did we do that? And then recently, I took photos of like the setups of the wash pack station, inspired by another focus group. Um, Talking about like photo SOPs and being like you can't describe in words where to put a table um, in a way that makes any sort of sense, but a quick photo um, has helped with the transition of those um, materials. And then a little bit of that's been an area where there's been some discussion and some like who who does it make sense to like move what things and um, with what sort of like setup. Um, should the livestock team take the lead on or what sort of setup should the vegetable team take the lead on? Um, and especially like considering like who sees that area the most it's vegetable team um, and the livestock are kind of in, uh, operate in other areas of the farm. So like maybe it doesn't make sense for them to like have to remember to see that they like, move the tables because the vegetable people are right there and some small things all kind of out of the, um, the desire to operate as like one team, not kind of the segmented like, your things are dirty livestock or you are too picky vegetables or um, kind of any stop any tensions from happening, um, which has I think been
1: successful. Yeah, I could totally see where those two get closer and closer are those friction <laughs> points
3: for sure. Yeah, and they're friction points because they matter a lot for food safety.
2: Have you noticed a change, I guess maybe in your perspective around food safety going from a farm hand to a farm manager?
3: The biggest shift in perspective that I have had in regards to food safety was during a GAP training Mm -hmm. after like having worked on a GAP food safety plan for a little bit, I went to a, another GAP training and, um, GAP is like an arduous process. It changed a lot of the systems and like what felt like really arbitrary ways to get this, um, certification. And then, so I was like a little frustrated with it but during the training kind of the woman who's leading it opened it up and was like 7% of Americans have some sort of like autoimmune deficiency and yeah you eat produce with dirt on it all the time you don't wash your hands you don't you know you do your personal things and you're fine your food safety is not for is not for the 97 or 93% of people that are going to be totally fine most of the time, it's for the 7% of people who are at a high risk of getting really sick and who most of them might also be thinking a lot about the food that they're eating and who they're purchasing from to ensure that they don't get sick. And I think right now with the response to COVID, there's been a lot more conversation about individual duty for the public good. Um, an individual duty to protect the most vulnerable. But like four years ago, that was not on my radar at all. And so that switch of like food safety as a way to care for people um, instead of like a checklist that you have to do because like some auditor that doesn't really understand farming is going to come and look at your things. That was the biggest switch from looking at food safety as a chore to being um, excited about having it be another part of my job where I can, like, care and feed people.
2: So Yeah, we, we hear a lot about you really have to give people the why of why you're doing mm-hmm. <clears throat> something. And when it's just a checklist with no – you just don't know why. You know, any job, anything in life, it's so frustrating. Yeah. But to know that. These practices can not only improve your farm, but potentially improve the lives of the people that you're feeding. It's, it's a big deal. Yeah.
1: On that, with a lot of people being interacting with the farm, you mentioned like all these educational programings and tours and classes. How does that get written into your food safety plan? Having all these yeah. outsiders come on in.
3: Um, as I'm kind of thinking through systems to better that's potentially our weakest point it's hard because like there's a flow of tours that makes a lot of sense and it takes you from the chickens into the vegetable field and from a food safety perspective like staff is really good when they switch back and forth between tasks of rinsing boots or switching shoes and washing hands but figuring out good ways to like very casually have guests do those things or to change um, to a slightly more awkward tour route to prevent that order um, to talk about food safety with the staff that are their whole job is education and they're not farmers and are not thinking about food safety Um, So how to like educate them in a way that is not condescending or in a way that actually like puts into practice really good systems has been a challenge. And I think there's been some gains and some thoughts of like um, signage, but it's – I have still some question marks, um, which I think is – it's exciting to like try to problem solve um those things and kind of fix that little pinch point of where there might be a little more higher risk
1: yeah totally we've had some focus groups centered around having a lot of volunteers and you know a lot of temporary like uh apprentices or people coming in and out a lot and it's just like how do you design your sops or your sign-in booklet or your one pager to really reflect the best safety practices for your farm and keep everyone on the same page.
3: Yeah and I think it's it's easier to figure out with like volunteers or people who are habitually at the ranch um, to kind of figure out how to train and help get adherence to food safety practices of those people. And then like the like family that is picnicking, um, who doesn't ever go into the main building because we're in a global pandemic and they don't want to be inside a building. Um how how do you get them to know any of this information without like an obnoxious sign that they're not going to read?
2: Yeah, I mean that's something that I feel like even county fairs grapple with like they want to have these petting zoos but then they also need to enforce these really strict hand washing situations afterwards and it's like you chase down every family you have a ton of signs up and then eventually some kids get sick and the parents are like well no one told us after billy bob billy john myself put his hand in a goat's mouth (laughs) and put also put his own hand you know and it just it's hard to know like how do you do with kindness, with patience, but also a little bit of strictness.
3: Yeah.
2: It's quite the fine line. Um, I only have, just so you know, I only have two questions left. One of them is I want to go back to the pitchfork that's good for, I think you said mucking out chicken coops, uh-huh. and then also for carrots. As a manager, how do you decide we're going to have one pitchfork to do it all, or we're going to buy three pitchforks
3: So there was zero pitchforks, and then me and the livestock counterpart um, both love pitchforks. Um, And so we got one pitchfork after complaining about not having one for um, some months. And we should really just have two pitchforks, um, and I think that's on. um, I have a working document through the year entitled Winter Dreams, of all the things I want to like, either purchase or um, get or make or do in the winter time to prep for the next season, and another pitchfork is on that list. <laughs> and then one can live near where it needs to live for chickens, and one can live um, near the greenhouse so that I can lift our winter carrots with them.
2: It's a, it's a weird thing to know, like, when have we bought too many pitchforks? When have we not bought enough?
3: Yeah. Um, so the rest of the staff is like, we've never needed to use a pitchfork. You two just got here. And why do you love pitchforks so much? Cause it's not a tool that everyone uses, I guess, but I'm into them.
2: I also love a pitchfork. It's really good for moving wood chips.
3: Yeah, too. so many good uses. So many good uses.
2: Uh, Brie, I'm just gonna sneak in my last question. You said that you and Maggie from Young Farmers had talked about it being a working document. Does it ever drive you crazy that you'll always be working on it and will always be changing? Or is that a relief that, you know, you can always come back to it?
3: Um, I think it's a relief. I also am like kind of looking forward to like this winter when I revise some things. But, yeah, no, I think that's, like, isn't that why anyone farms, too, is, like, that constant, like, let's do it again, let's do it better, like, seasonality of, like, oh, what ifs. It's a little addicting. Um,
2: Right. So. I mean, you might be in the wrong business, I guess, if you want things to never change. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) And I don't have a question, but I just have an example, I guess, of uh, visitors and making sure that they're doing what they need to do you know something that we did on a farm that I used to volunteer on quite frequently was kids collecting eggs with chickens and you kind of have to sneak in your produce safety uh, and your farm safety we would have like if you want to collect a, uh, a basket to collect eggs in you have to wash your hands and then you get your basket and then when you turn in your basket of the eggs you collect you have to wash your hands as like kind of your uh, your fee at the uh, at the barn so having that be set up is um, usually like ways that we would trick them to do it sorry that's my that's my pup he's being nosy but I think we can end early so you don't have to be in the hot seat anymore so I'll just leave it at that and if you have any last words of wisdom you want to share feel free um, if I can write a food safety plan, anyone can do it. <laughs> um,
3: yeah, I think thinking of it as a like, tool that can benefit your operation rather than a chore,
2: uh, is a cool outlook. Thank you. This is great.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much. I feel, I feel like if I were to start a farm tomorrow, I know Music. where to start. <laughs> Yeah.
0: Thanks for listening to our Produce Safety Focus Group series. To check out the guidebook for yourself, go to www.youngfarmers.org resource slash food safety guide. This podcast was edited by Hannah Beal and recorded in partnership with the National Farmers Union over the summer of 2020 as part of our FSOP Produce Safety Programming.